Good morning. Welcome. It's good to see everybody here this morning. I hope you have a bulletin as you came in. You'll see them in the back. If you didn't get one, we have our songs and our liturgy together so that you can follow along. We'd love for you to be a part. Um, we have several announcements uh, that we want to share with you. First, let me just say welcome if you're visiting with us and there's a blue uh, guest card or visitor card there in the pew in front of you. We'd love for you to fill that out. Uh, we don't expect you to give us all the private information, but if you would at least share with us how we could contact you uh, and share a little bit about your family, we'd love to be able to, to reach out to you and to let you know uh, we're willing to minister to you any way that we can. So uh, if you would fill those out, we appreciate it. You can either put them in the offering plate or you can place them on the welcome table in the foyer area, and we'll pick those up. Also, if you'll open your bulletin, uh, you will see the announcements on the inside there. Uh, I'll let you read through a lot of those. Uh, we do want to thank everyone for, I'm sure, the, the, the breakfast and the time together. And uh, for those who are a part of helping teach and fill in, you'll see the uh, office hours this week are a little different. This year, GA is this coming week, so I'll be leaving for General Assembly in Memphis. So if you'll pray for me while I'm traveling and my family while they're here. But also, Sarah just happened to be the time that she's out. And Christy decided she would just leave. She's not going to do it by herself. So uh, and that's not true. But she, uh, her vacation worked out the same time. So what we're saying is pray for the church because Cindy Freeze is going to be here this week. So uh, welcome to the staff of our church. No, she'll be here off and on. I know Angela also is here to help out at times. So just know uh, if you're needing something, contact us at the office if you can. Contact your elder if you need something, and we'll be sure to minister to you. But we appreciate your patience uh, as the summer goes on as we're in and out. So, uh, But I'll let you read those. Just know uh, we're praying for you and your families as you travel, as you spend time together. Uh, we want to uh, later on, recognize our graduates. We weren't sure how many would even be here, but we had three uh, graduates from high school this year, and so we'll want to bring them up and eventually get to recognize them. And uh, so, But as the summer goes on, uh, we'll bring that before you. Also, let me say this. I'm always falling behind. We've had several new families join the church since about last November, and we've yet to have all of them come and let you recognize who they are. And so we'll try to have Christy put all that together. We'll get them together. And as they come in, in weeks, when I get back to come, we'll try to bring them up and let them share so that you can see uh, the families that have come to join. So thank you for your patience on that. But let me begin this morning with our meditation. I'm going to read it. I ask that you'll take just a moment uh, in silence and as I read it. And then we're going to open in a prayer, not our pastoral prayer, but just a moment of prayer. I'm going to give you a moment of silence after the meditation. I'll lead us in prayer. And if you'll join me in the Lord's Prayer together, uh, printed there in your bulletin. But let me read this as we begin to prepare and transition to worship. Lord Jesus Christ, as we worship you, send your spirit of truth into our hearts. Let him shine. Unseal our lips to sing thy praise. Our souls to thee in worship raise. Make strong our faith, increase our light, that we may know thy name aright. So taken from songs and poetry together, uh, Lord, we just pray that, Lord, here this morning as we use these words, as they've been sung and shared, Lord, we pray here this morning that you would just clear our hearts, our minds, Give us a few moments to focus on the scriptures, the truth, what it is you're truly calling us to do. 
Lord, that we might know we're actively doing what it is that you've set before us. Lord, we do pray that uh, you'll take this time together, bond us, unify us, and allow us to be the one voice together, uh, not only through the worship as we sing and celebrate, but as we come before you to pray at the throne of grace together, saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The first sentence in light print, if you'll join together with me in the bold print, as I call us to worship, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Your bulletin's out as we spend some time sharing together. I know it's long as we come to a few points of our confession together, and I appreciate your patience as we continue to share and learn together through the Westminster Larger Catechism. But before we do, let's take a moment and confess our sins together, not to one another, uh, but together before the throne of grace. And uh, the one thing we have in the Protestant church was an opportunity to read the scriptures together and to come before the Lord and to approach him individually, uh, access only through Jesus Christ. And so let's take a moment, if you would, pray with me our congregational confession of sin. Let's pray. Almighty God, we confess before you that we leave a great outstanding debt. We do not love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We have also failed to love our neighbors as if they were our own flesh. Yet, O oh God, even when we have recognized our failings, instead of turning in repentance to the grace of Christ, we turn to ourselves. We foolishly believe that we have the strength in our own flesh to obey your commands. Instead of resting in Christ and relying on the Holy Spirit's power at work in us, we trust ourselves and therefore try to gain your grace by our obedience. Forgive our sin, Lord God, through your Son. Have mercy on us and blot out our transgressions. Clothe us with your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, that we may rely upon him alone for all things, and fill us with the joy that comes from knowing the forgiveness of our sins, so that we may obey out of gratitude for your great love. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And throughout all the scriptures, we find constant assurance as we're reading and wherever you're reading, I assure you, somewhere in those scriptures, you'll find grace of assurance and pardon. Here from Galatians, we are told that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons, so that we might belong to him. What a blessing. So as we confess our sins together, we find assurance. We also confess our faith we're unashamed to put in writing what it is we believe the scriptures teach. The confessions help us do that. And so as we've worked through them, 
Let me tell you, this is a condensed, a modern version we've been using. So if you're used to some of them in different terminology, we've tried to use versions that make it a little easier. Uh, but if you would, I'll read the question and join me in this lengthy answer that we have as we work through these commandments. The question 105 asks, what sins does the first commandment forbid? The first commandment forbids atheism, denying or not believing in God, idolatry, believing in or worshiping any other gods along with or other than the one true God, not having and affirming him as God and our God, ignorance of him, forgetting him, untrue opinions about him, and evil or unworthy thoughts about him, all godless desecration, hating God, self-love, self-interest, and all other disorderly or excessive attention, mental, willful, or emotional, to things that divert our attention partially or completely from God. Also included are worthless beliefs, lack of faith, not trusting God, refusing correction and resisting God's judgment, putting God to the test, using unlawful means to an end, indulging in pleasures of the flesh, being lukewarm, spiritual deadness, praying to or worshiping saints, angels, or any other created being, making men the rulers of our faith and conscience, and finally, being dissatisfied and offended by the things God provides in our lives. And you wonder why we need help keeping the commandments, the things we're not to do. What a blessing to know that we do have someone, though, who has kept those and makes it possible for us to be seen perfect in the eyes of God. Let's remember not only as we confess our sins and our faith, but God provides for us. And so this morning, I want to invite our ushers to come forward as we take up our offering. And uh, I've asked one of our deacons, Matt Schwastik, if he would come and lead us in our offertory prayer this morning. Let's pray. Almighty God, we praise you that you have set us at liberty to be generous. You provide all that we need and look after our needs on a daily basis. Lord God, please use these gifts which you've uh, consecrated to yourself for the glory of your kingdom and the furthering of your church. Lord God, help us to have wisdom as we put them to use. Bless us, guide us, and help us to see needs in the uh, community and the places you've put us and to help alleviate the, the uh, effects of sin in this world. Lord God, we praise you and we thank you. Amen.
if you'll just remain standing while we pray, let me lead us to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you just asking you to bless our families. Lord, we lift up to you this morning the many of our prayer requests in our church. We pray for healing and direction uh, for Dan Little. Uh, Lord, we just ask that you'll continue to help him and lead them, guide and direct the doctors as they work with him. We, we pray for Kid and Marilyn Deans. We pray for Vera. Lord, this morning that you would just uh, touch their hearts, lives, direct them, let your comfort be made known. For Dick and Donna Littlefield, uh, Lord, just for the healing and recovery, for the transition of working through rehabilitation, uh, that they would know our love is with them. We continue to pray for the Bavards, for Bill, uh, Lord, just uh, as they've continued to work through treatment and waiting for results and healings, Lord, it's our heart's desire they be made well. We do pray for Beth Bauer's mother, Sylvia, uh, for strength and healing uh, that she needs. For Jean Foltz, a uh, missionary, a uh, friend of Denise, Lord, again, uh, that you would just uh, bring comfort to him and healing, uh, what he needs through surgery. We pray for Phil and Karina as they uh, make decisions to try to figure out, Lord, exactly your will, as they try to be precise, as they try to seek uh, how it is they can serve you. Lord, we also pray for Nick and Kirsten and Abigail, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would go before them as this week they transition to a whole new journey, to a new calling, to a new place, uh, Lord, that you would just go before them, that they would know they take our hearts and minds, they take our love, and Lord, we're so thankful for the years that Nick served uh, and reached out to our youth and our families. We're thankful for Kirsten and her dedication to not only the children and their music, but her leading of worship. For Abigail, Lord, as she's been one of the children of the church, as she grows into teenager and slow, slowly become an adult, that you would bring transition to their life uh, in the weeks to come, that you would just bring a peace that passes all understanding. I thank you for everyone who has helped minister to them, who have reached out to their family. Uh, Lord, what a blessing that when you call us, you put us in the fellowship of believers to work together. Lord, all this we bring before you and just pray, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts to receive the word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And thank you to our music team and again for leading us in such a wonderful way of worship here this morning. If you're visiting with us, we've been working through, just starting through the Gospel of Mark, so I invite you to turn with us to Mark chapter 1. We've been learning all about Mark's short but succinct and to-the-point gospel. This morning, I want to challenge you as we pick up on Jesus and his preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, Obviously, if you've been saved, then you've been saved to service. Let me just put that out there. This morning, I want to speak to you about answering the call, because there are no such thing as Christians who've been called and saved who are not serving. Every one of us are serving. I know over the past years, I know when I was young, first into the ministry, I had a pastor, Reverend Lewis that said to me, Jerry, I know we don't have vacation days. You take them when you can. We didn't get one day. He always said, Jerry, you know, if you plan a day off, it'll inevitably rain or it'll do something or you'll get sick and you won't get it and you'll work to death. So just take time when you can. 
Keep track of your hours. And he said, but the one thing I will remind you is that as you're putting in your hours, you don't count Sunday as part of your package. He said, we expect everybody in the church to serve on Sundays, and we would expect no less than our pastor to give his time to do the same. And so I've all these years thought about that, lived through that. When you pay me, and I'm so grateful that you have chosen to have a pastor that you would put up with me. But it was the same when I was working with Nick and sat down with Nick. It's been the same with Christy in the office and Sarah when she does hers. We tell people the hours that we pay you for are the hours that you put in during the week that are necessary to keep the ministries going. But on Sundays, we're all here using this hours to just use the gifts God's given us to serve. We need you to serve. If you've been saved in Jesus Christ, it's because he's given you gifts. He wants to build his church around you, with you, and including you. And whatever that may be, I don't know, but I do know this morning that Mark takes us on a journey where Jesus makes it clear, according to Mark, that we are saved to servanthood. He has called each and every one of us, and I could begin the whole sermon by just simply asking you, what are you doing to serve the king? Now, I'm not going to evaluate whether we think that's a good or bad calling. That's not it. You know between you and the Lord. We're saved to servanthood. The word methetes is the word that is used in Mark for the word disciples when he calls disciples. It is the word that is meant that it is one who is under the discipline of a teacher. You see, we all have disciples. You could go back to the days of Aristotle, if you wish, or Plato. You could bring it into the modern era and talk about Charles Haddon Spurgeon or some of our great theologians of the Schaeffers. And anybody who's studying under another to learn those things would be considered a disciple. Children under parents. Whole new concept. What are they learning from mom and dad. It's different than apostolos. We're not apostles. Sometimes people confuse those two. We go back. We've made that clear. Mark makes it clear. Matthew, Luke, and John, they all distinguish the difference. The apostolos was the word that was used for one who was sent out, one who was commissioned or called with a purpose to preach and to teach or commissioned by Jesus to be able to do things. Disciples were the ones that were just following Jesus Christ, and they were the link between Christ and the church, between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom on earth. Disciples are the link between what this world experiences about what heaven truly is. I could ask you this morning, when people look at your life, do they see the kingdom in its glory? When people talk to you, do they understand more about Jesus Christ than ever before? Have you learned enough from Jesus that it's constantly, as Mark said, was overflowing and overfilling to others? This morning I could ask, just how committed of a disciple have you been? You see, in the times of the teachers going out and finding people, you will see that it was up to the rabbinical traditions or the rabbis or the, the leaders to go find their students. No, that's not true. It would be the students seeking out the person they wanted to be like. And Jesus changes all of that. All of a sudden, we realize that though we're all understanding discipleship, Christian disciples as the link between here and heaven, if you wish, become the answer for so many people who are praying 
about what it is God wants in their life. Let me ask you this morning to jot down something really quick. Jot down the last time you remember being an answer to someone's prayer. The time that God used you as the link between him and others. The time that you were the one placed in the middle because the teacher has already taught you, the greatest servant of all has prepared you to serve others. And now his kingdom expands because of you. You see, all Mark is doing is getting us to the point where we understand when Jesus puts this call out there, he's making us these special instruments. You see, a teacher teaches the disciples to go from common, ordinary people to becoming instruments of change. What Jesus is doing is asking you to be an instrument with purpose to bring about change in the kingdom of heaven, to bring about salvation. As Christians, your number one goal is to fulfill the great commission. To go ye therefore into all the world as you're baptizing, teaching, and preaching to do what? Make disciples. To help others follow Jesus. This morning, Mark makes it very clear. It's a very few short verses. But just keep in mind, as we speak about the teacher or the servant and his followers, they had the right of a claim over the student. As the teacher taught the student, as Aristotle would teach those or Plato would teach those underneath him, they became a reflection of the teacher. And as people knew the student, they also knew the teacher. It would be no different this morning that if someone said, if they knew you, do they really know Jesus Are they getting a glimpse of God when people come in contact with you? So Mark writes us very quickly. I'm going to back go just a few verses here. We're going to go back to verse 14 just to pick up the story. Now after John was taken into custody, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And this morning he picks up And says this, as he was going along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea. For they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will have you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. These were known as the Bonergists and the other Gospels, the sons of thunder. Who were also in the boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. And went away to follow him. Let me just take briefly a short passage this morning in its context that Mark reveals to us several things you need to know. First of all, if we're going to answer the call, we need to understand the servant or the subject of the call. Because so many of us get those things confused. Please understand that when Jesus, who is the subject of the call, is calling disciples to himself, he's calling them to him, not to just a task. He's calling them to understand him. As rabbinic students, you might say this, or music students might be there, or theological students are there. Sometimes our students fall more in love with what they're doing than the one who is teaching them. 
That's not the way it was for years. I remember when I first started thinking about a PhD in missions, I was looking for someone who understood discipleship in its context. I wanted to follow the discipleship method of growth. I wanted to be someone who understood contextualization, someone who would understand that missions involved getting to know its community and working within that context so that the church could be discipled and the, the church would grow around the, the knowledge of discipleship rather than worship or containment of activities or programs. The time in my life, his name was Dr. Bickers. He was at Mid-America Seminary. And so I wasn't looking for a missions program. I was looking for the person who I could get under so that I could begin to learn how it is that they did it so that I could do what they did. Today, it's no different. If you're studying in certain academic fields, you look for the person that you think is the best at what they do, and you want to learn from them. Who do you think is the best at obeying Jesus. And maybe we should be seeking to get a PhD in discipleship from him. Maybe we ought to be reconsidering who it is that we're patterning our lives after, who it is that we're seeking to be like. Because Jesus, Mark makes it very clear, is unlike these rabbinic traditions where students would get so involved in the programs and the laws and what was carried out in principle that they became even later known as the Pharisaic people, the ones who were more interested in the law than the what? Than the people. They were more interested in what was being done rather than the person they were doing it for. You know, I say this in a soft but true sense, we have many students in seminaries that do the same thing. They fall more in love with the theology and the philosophy of the subject than the person himself. And so we produce through seminaries many times very knowledgeable people, very practical people, those who have a depth of understanding and talents, but sometimes they have very little relationship with their one they're supposed to be serving. And maybe this morning you could say to yourself, I fall into that same place, pastor. My devotions are faithful. My Bible reading is dedicated. My service in the church is, is just consistent. I'm constantly following up with the programs. I know what it takes to make things go forward, and I love Presbyterianism. Say amen. <laughs> I had to pry that one out of you. And you might find out that you're so involved in the programs and the structure that you've lost sight of the reason you're doing all those things. Just who are you following? So all of a sudden we realize it is the subject of this that he's calling us to. He's calling us to himself. We're called to know Jesus, not that system or the structure. We're uh, many times uh, not following the same pattern. You remember Elijah is probably the only Old Testament example we get when someone is called to follow another person. When Elijah calls Elisha to himself uh, back in 1 Kings, I believe it is in 19, when all of a sudden Elisha says, okay, I'll follow you, but let me go and see my parents and my family and do things, folks. That's an amazing story, but it's not even what Jesus asks us to do. Because if you understand the importance of the call of Jesus, when Jesus calls us, he almost flips the tables because they say, well, let me go and talk to my father. Let me go and bury my dad. Let me go and make ends with my family. And do you remember what Jesus says? No. 
trust me, I'll take care of all that. I've called you to come and follow me. Are you willing to give it all up to be with the one teacher who's going to change you in ways that nobody else ever will? Now, I hate to tell you this. I have to admit defeat, and I don't like it. My kids were the championship winners again. I don't know if I've told you that yet. (laughs) But the truth of it is, I've been defeated. There's one greater than I. There's one more obedient than I. There's one more faithful than I. There's one who understands more than I understand. There's one who equips better than I equip. And if I could hear him today in his verbal proclamation, my preaching would be embarrassing to what he would say to you. And so my prayer is that as I bring you messages, you don't look to me, but you look to who? To the teacher. The one who's calling you to himself, not to me. So you must understand that subject. There is no requirement when Jesus says this, come and follow me. This isn't the first acquaintance they've had with Jesus. You could go back and read the Gospel of John. We do have the benefit of other Gospels. And there was a time in which Simon had asked someone to come and see who this teacher was. And we have the stories of those who are acquainted with him. But Mark skips all that and goes right to the point and simply makes it clear there's no requirement when Jesus calls you. If God has knocked on your heart's door, if he's treated you like he has so many others, he doesn't come to you and say, well, let's find out the requirements and if you meet the standard in order to serve. Discipleship is one of the easiest fields to join. If you're looking at studying something in college today, I can tell you, I know it can be confusing and you can get all kinds of degrees, but let me tell you as your pastor, there's one field of study that I promise you you'll be successful in. And I promise you, your teacher will never let you down. He's always told the truth. He's never backed down. He's converted more people to his teaching than any other teacher in the world. It's free. And you don't have to have any prerequisites to take his classes. It's called discipleship. It's following the one who leads the way. Is Jesus calling you this morning? Maybe he's tapped on your heart to be a teacher as we've prayed, and you've said, yeah, but I've never taught before. Maybe he's calling you to help in the sound booth. I don't know electronics. We asked you to go to the green team. I can't start a mower. I don't think any of us can, some of these mowers. The food ministry, can you put on a smile, or do you fail like I do at times? Humbly stand there in line when your heart gets hardened as you're helping others. You're ministering to their people that show up and they start asking for things and you're giving them things and they want more things and they want different things and they want the things they like, not the things you're giving them. And your heart begins to think to itself, well, what does it matter? I'm helping you. Why don't you just take what we have to offer you and be happy? Where are you coming from a car like that anyway? You don't need this food. I've seen better cars like that. I mean, folks, your heart begins to succumb and you realize, I need to be closer to Jesus to do this. I need more time with my teacher. I need to be softened in an understanding 
because now I'm not doing this for him, I'm doing this for me. And that's not what we need. So all of a sudden, we understand it's the subject called. Jesus goes out, he's calling these people to himself. Come and I will make you fishers of men. Follow who? Me. You've got to understand the subject of that task. Here it is before us, when all of a sudden we realize it's no different than the disciples called to being with Jesus so that they can learn. It's the only way disciples learn. It's the only apprenticeship that's mastered the understanding of what it means to serve. And yet it's no different with our families. It's no different with our church. It's no different, if you wish, with our own prayer life. Are those things bringing you closer to Jesus? Sometimes we've been taught, even in this world, Jesus got away from his disciples to have a little alone time. I just need to get away from my family to have alone time. I just need to take a break so that I can get closer to Jesus. And maybe it's not the break you need, it's just the change in the structure of the things you're doing so that family as a whole is always being brought closer to Jesus. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's not the schedule. Maybe it's not the hours. And maybe it's not even the position you're in. Maybe your work just needs to be reevaluated because maybe your work is not bringing you closer to Jesus. And I say it in fear. Maybe it's your church. Maybe you need a break from church. Maybe you're tired of church and you're frustrated with church because your church isn't bringing you closer to Jesus. The one good reason to leave the church. If it's not bringing you closer to Jesus. But it's not just about the subject. He goes on to tell us, listen, he says, follow me. Me, 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 and I will make you become fishers of men. It's not only about the subject or the servant. It's about service. Write this down. We're called to service. They did not seek Jesus out, as I said earlier, with the rabbinical traditions or the PhD students or those who are in the the wisdom worlds of philosophy. This is turntables upside down. These people weren't seeking Jesus. Jesus was seeking out them. Folks, the wonderful thing about discipleship is when the Holy Spirit knocks on your door, it's because he wants you. You don't have to apply. You don't have to worry. It's not like, well, what if I can be accepted or what if I can be used or what if he doesn't like me or what if he can't use me? Folks, it's the opposite. Jesus isn't waiting for people to just come to him to see if they're available. He's going after you. He wants you. He's seeking to save the lost. He's reaching down to you. I don't know what it is God's going to call you to do, but he's calling you to serve him, to be drawn close to him so that he can help you become fishers of men. That word there in the Greek is the actual word for genestai. You wouldn't say that in English because it sounds funny that follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. We take that out and just say, follow me and you'll be fishers of men. But it's a process of becoming. The word genestai, ales anthropon, is the phrase becoming fishers of men. You don't just follow Jesus and then have it down. How many of you love to fish? I could tell you all kinds of fishing jokes, right? All kinds of them. But think about it for just a moment. When Jesus pulls us into the context of what it means to be fishers of men. 
Wait until you understand when we talk about the fellowship and the servanthood that comes with it. When Jesus is seeking out his people, he's making you join a process that takes time. I fished for the first time, and I've shared this story before, as I went out with friends and threw the hook in the water and waited for something to happen. Yeah. I could score as many goals as you wanted to, but I would wait for eternity for a fish to catch an empty hook waiting to catch that one because no one had said anything i wasn't paying attention and i didn't know the right baits and now you sit down with fishermen sometimes and you don't even want to fish because you put the cricket on they say well that's not the right size cricket okay well that's not the right size worm it needs to be longer here bite the end of that worm off and put it on the other side (laughs) yeah take the legs off the cricket pull its head apart stick it on i was like guys these are fishermen i don't want to fish like that I want the fish to just jump out of the water, jump in the boat, and let me go home. That's the kind of fishing I like. But you don't see that. Jesus puts us in the context that this takes time. You've got to learn what fishing is all about. You've got to learn what it's going to take and how it's going to happen and where you've got to go. And folks, I don't want to bore you on just fish, but I remember being in the boats. Everywhere I've ever ministered, I've taken up the task of what the people do. It's the only way I would get to know the people. So wherever we have lived and whatever the hobbies are of the time in the church which we're at, that's what I try to plug in to do. And the one thing I've never been successful at is fishing. I like fly fishing because I'm not really doing anything but swinging a rod back and forth for hours. Watching my little hook go, hey, watch how far this goes. Yeah, watch this one. I can get his boat. I can get his fish. I can do it. But I was busy. But think about this for just a moment, really. Jesus takes us to the point where we must learn where the fish are. Where the fish are. I asked Rich Gallagher one day, I hope he doesn't mind me sharing. He said, Jerry, let's go for a a boat ride. So I got on this 40-foot boat that used for fishing out in the ocean And we went all the way up the bay to the Delaware channels and out down to Ocean City to park. And I asked the hard question. I said, Rich, what do you do? I mean, what do you mean you're a fishing captain, but what do you do? He says, I take people out on the boat. They catch fish for tournaments. And then we come back in and see where we place on the tournaments. And so I'm like, so they pay you to drive the boat? He said, yep. I said, so when you win a tournament... You get to be a part of this because it's your boat and you drive. Yeah. I was having a hard time putting that together because I thought, well, couldn't anybody just drive the boat? I mean, it's water, right? It's big space, lots to do. I said, well, what's the catch, Rich? He said, Jerry, for all the years of doing this, the biggest trick of the tournament is you got to know what? Where the fish are. Duh. Because I started thinking to myself, how have you like to travel eight hours out into the ocean and come back with nothing? Anybody done that one before? Mm-hmm. I call that stupidity. 
But folks, you got to know where they are. Jesus says this, and I mean this wholeheartedly. Listen to the context. Please listen to the story. He goes to the fishermen. These are pe people on Galilee. Galilee was known for the variety of fish, places that other countries didn't have. It wasn't about beef, and it wasn't about cattle, or it wasn't about chickens. It was about fish, and they had all kinds of fish, and they exported those to other countries. These were fishermen that were just common fishermen, yes, but they were smart, common fishermen. They were successful, common fishermen. Sometimes we paint the pictures that these were poor men who couldn't make it on their own. Folks, think of John and James, his brother. When he called them off the boat, they were mending these nets. And when they left, he left the father with the what? All the servants. This isn't a poor fisherman's boat where the kids are helping their dad or he's not going to make it. This is a thriving industry of people who are casting their nets. And all of a sudden, they realize Jesus simply says, and we've seen the stories later, if you remember when they tell us there was no fish in the boat, and Jesus simply said what? Just cast your net what? On the other side. Like if that wasn't a miracle. Like the fish were on the right half of the boat. But no, we understand. Listen to what he says. You're not the one in charge. It's a fundamental change. I'm asking you to come to me, and over a process of time, you're going to become fishers of men. You're going to learn where the people are that need Christ. You're going to learn where the people are that are hurting. You're going to learn like what it is that they're going through, what it's going to take to catch them, what it is that's going to take to minister to them. You put the words in the place, but you don't just accept Christ and the whole world come running to you saying, hey, now that you're a Christian, I'd like to come to church with you. That would be the fish just jumping out of the boat or out of the water into the boat. We've got to go find them. We've got to learn where they are. Oh, please don't raise your hands, but let me ask you this. Have you even walked down your street yet to find out how many fish in your sea are going to be judged? Could you even tell me what it is about the lake you're in? Or has your boat always stayed docked? Happy right where you're at. Discipleship. All of a sudden we realize it's not just about the subject, but it's about service. Thinking of God, thinking of others, not just ourselves. We've got to abandon anything that hinders us from hearing or heeding the call. Folks, I don't know what it is in your life, but heed the call. I plead with you. I beg you. If Jesus is calling you, well, I'm too old. Well, I haven't got the education. Well, I'm not sure where I would go. I don't know if we could afford a move. I, folks, those are all the issues that I would say to you. Listen, Zebedee's sons left him, and the servants took care of everything else. Let me remind you, when God's calling you to do something, he'll provide the servants to take care of everything else. Just go follow Jesus and let him provide everything else. Don't neglect doing what he's called you to do. Even go so far in the writings of Matthew when he says, if your eye causes you to sin, if your hand causes you to do it, pluck it out, cut it off. It would be better to enter, and if I can use this phrase, the ocean to catch fish with one eye and one hand. And to eventually be drowned in the depths of that sea trying to catch fish. 
than to lose your own soul. I'm sorry, Jesus, I didn't have time today. I don't really know anybody around me that needs Jesus. That's probably the most common one you get in evangelism. Aren't most people in America saved? That's how Satan has tricked us. All of a sudden we realize it's not just about the servant himself or the service, but it's about servanthood. Listen to what he says. I will make you fishers of men. He gathers them together. Mark immediately takes us to the first ministry of all that Jesus does, and it's gathering people to himself. I love church planting. We move to a new place. We meet new friends. It's hard on everybody. Nobody likes to find those unfamiliar places and unfamiliar faces. But it changes everything when you begin to realize the first most important task is no different than what Jesus did. He just simply walked down to the sea and started saying, come and be with me. Come and be with me. And planting churches in our lives have been no different. We simply go into the communities and go into the places and simply say, hey, come and worship with us. Hey, come and be with us. Hey, come and see what I've got to share with you. Hey, come and see the change that you could have. It's no different than the disciples. The question just becomes, are you part of the servanthood? Only the fishermen like to fish. I've learned that of all the tasks. Hunters, they'll shoot anything. Fishermen just want fish. And they want a certain type of fish. But what makes a fisherman a fisherman? that they like to just go out on the boat or that they like to catch fish. I wonder if we said about discipleship, if disciples are called to make disciples and we're not making disciples, what would we call ourselves? What do we call us Christians who are not making disciples? I can't think of a word for it. I don't know that it exists. It might be an inappropriate question or an improper way of asking it. Because in Scripture, you can't find disciples who aren't making what? More disciples. And so all of a sudden we realize it's a servanthood. It's about belonging to each other. It's about getting things together, working together. It's, not, it's about the fishermen that gather together and fish. Nothing else. You don't go fishing. I know, I've learned. Trust me, I apologize to the fishermen of the church. But folks, I'm one of those that I went fishing because I wanted to spend time with you. And so it was nice to be able to talk about the mountains and the streams and the types of fish and the songs that you like and worship. And I know the fishermen just want to go, would you shut up? You're bugging the what? As if they talk to them and know exactly what the fish are thinking. And yet we can't do that to people. You're in a crowd. You want to talk about the building and how nice it is and the the party that's going on and all the friends that have come together. 
Most fishermen don't want to talk about all the fish in the sea. They don't gawk in all the different fish that they saw in the ocean. They want to talk about the fish they what? They caught. So let me ask you again. When's the last time you shared the testimony of the fish you caught? When's the last story you shared about one of those fish you brought in? Or are you just happy talking about all the fish that are out there? It's a servanthood. It's a gathering of people who are working for the same common purpose. We're working to expand the kingdom, to reach the lost, to change the lives of others, because Jesus said so. I don't know what you're doing to help do that, but we form a community sharing together these stories. Ronald Ray, I've told you before, could win a person to the Lord in an elevator ride. It wouldn't take him long at all. He would confront any situation. He would set it out before me. I was a young preacher. I was an associate pastor of outreach and evangelism, and I came because my degree was from the Billy Graham School of Evangelism. I didn't know a thing about catching fish. And man, he would sit me down and say, let's go visit. Let's go visit. Let's go visit. Every Tuesday night, sometimes it would just be me and him. And we would meet at the church and we would pray. And he would tell me another story of a person he's met. And as the visitation team would grow, every week we would meet before we would go out for one reason. Let someone share a quick testimony of what's happened on their visits so we could talk about the fish who have come in. We spend more time today, your pastor included, talking about the fish that we could go get rather than the fish that we've caught. Fishing is about separation. I know this doesn't sound like a great in-depth conversation, but you know what fishing does? It separates the caught fish from the uncaught fish. The fish that will be taken for or from judgment from the ones that will be left for judgment. Jesus simply made it clear. Fishing is very important. We should be in the business of becoming fishers of men. This is one case where when fishing divides us, we must realize that all of a sudden Proverbs 11 tells us it's the one who wins souls that is wise. It's 1 Corinthians 9 that we are told by Paul that he became all things to all people in order that he might win some to Jesus Christ. The last little bit of Daniel, the 12th chapter of Daniel, simply says this. Listen to what he writes in the 12th chapter. 
there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. And those who have insight will shine like the glow of the expanse of heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. I believe this is one morning, like James and John, Simon, Peter, and the disciples. I'd like to be a fish out of water. I know it's uncomfortable, and I know it don't sound right, but it's the only way to be used by God. Become fishers of men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that Mark teaches us about the servant of all. It's about our relationship with him. It's about amphiboline. It's about casting our nets. It's about reaching where the fish are. Lord, help us to be servants. Help us to be called to that service. Help us to understand the importance of that. Let us see the importance of the servanthood, of working together and celebrating the fish that have been caught. Lord, help us to understand fishing divides the judgment. We're saving those from the judgment that is to come. Lord, we'll give you the praise and glory for commissioning us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Receive the benediction, it's here before you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And God's children said, amen. amen. Have a great Lord's Day.